And this is A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes, and this is episode 216. And we're going to talk about uh, the book Exhalation uh, by Ted Chang. Does it have, I think it's just called Stories. Exhalation is the, the, the story mm-hmm. in, the, in the thing, but it's, it's also the title of a collection that it came out this year. Um, right by Ted Chang, and we've talked about Ted Chang a couple of times. Um, Stories of your life is we talked about in episode eleven. Yeah! Wow, so early. Nineteen seventy-two. We talked about that, <laughs> and then before podcasting was invented, we were way ahead of our time. We were way ahead of our time. We recorded it on audio tape. <laughs> and uh, oh, oh gosh, what was the other one? Was it software? The life cycle of software objects. Yeah, the life cycle of software because it came out as a novella. It's included in the Exhalation anthology. But Um, that was we talked about a chunk of the book already. We sure did. Yeah, that was in episode twenty-eight. So that wasn't that long after. Heavens. Yeah, it would have been in year two, right? Yeah. Yeah. So So it's early on the Chang train. Yeah. (laughs) But now we get to talk about more. You know. uh, Oh yeah. So he is the most talked about author on the podcast, aside from Flannery O'Connor. That's right. Yep. Good. (laughs) As it should be. What's interesting uh, that you bring her up, because she wrote stories that could be difficult to understand until you talk about them, Mm -hmm. and um, really honed them, but of course from a very Catholic background, although you couldn't always tell, and he... Ted Chang often writes stories that have faith as a a key note somehow, even yeah. though he's, I think, an atheist or agnostic. I believe that you're right, um, but he definitely finds religion or faith. Um, he doesn't get specifically religious like, uh, well... O'Connor what, what, doesn't what, get specifically religious yeah, Okay, agreed, agreed. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, he, he finds it fascinating. Um I was reading an interview, and I'm probably not going to find the exact quote, but um, he said that, oh, there it is. Okay. He was asked, uh, the interviewer said, I also think religion plays a very important role in your work. And then he responded, I do think that religion is a very interesting phenomenon. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) right. Obviously, it affects many people very profoundly. (laughs) And uh, then he went on to talk. Uh, it was interesting. He started to talk about science and religion a little bit. Um, but the mm. way the way he puts things is almost in, in a detachment, right? So he's like, right. there's a similarity between science and religion in that they're both attempts to understand the universe. And there was a time in the past when science and religion were not seen as incompatible, when it made perfect sense to be both a scientist and a religious person. Nowadays, there is much more of an attitude that the two are incompatible. I think that's sort of a 20th century phenomenon. I agree that it is sort of a 20th century phenomenon um, because science and religion used to be uh, done by the same people all the time. And then um, I also said that he he talks about this in a sense of detachment. He, He did not state his position in that sense. <laughs> yes. Right. He, it was like he was standing back and observing society. And it was like, I find this very interesting is, is I think where he's coming from. And that's what struck me when I was listening to the quote, I was like, Oh yeah, he's not committing one way or the other, which mm-hmm. is very much the way he writes his stories. Exactly. And he I think that that's back. a powerful thing about him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. what makes him very honest because he is often, when you read the notes at the end, he'll talk about, oh, I, I heard this idea and it made me think, what if that? Mm-hmm. And then he'll write a story based on that. And you wouldn't necessarily know that at reading the story mm. because he doesn't always show you, you know, like, oh, I'm thinking about this. The story that comes out is sometimes quite different. But when you know that motivation, you look at it and go, oh, all right. And he's always just kind of really examining what does this mean. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I totally agree. And science fiction is just 
perfectly suited for that. It's, it's, you know, what, what he's writing, you know, they're philosophical stories that are science fiction, right? But it's, it's a science fiction of a, of a type that not a lot of people write anymore. Um, that really is idea focused. He's exploring something, but then he has this thing where he's able to touch humanity while exploring this um, philosophical concept. It's like, what are the implications yeah. for a person, you know, or what is the implications for society? What is the implications for, for both the very personal and the, um, you know, less personal, but still at a societal level. Yeah. And I find it super interesting, you know, so every one of these stories I read and I come away usually just with a, a feeling that I just love to have after I read a story, which is, wow, there's a lot to think about here. Mm-hmm. Everything that he writes is interesting to me. And some of them are super great. You know, like uh, I mentioned, I'm sure in the, that podcast about stories of your life that when I read story of your life in a, it was in one of those years, best collections. I remember it pretty clear. And, um, man, it, 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 I was like, Oh, this is what science fiction can do. I love it. Yes. You know? Yeah. So it's great. He hones right to the heart of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So what we decided to do, um, we figure we have time to talk about not every story, um, but we thought we'd talk about Merchant and the Alchemist Gate, and then the story Exhalation, which is the title story, and then the truth of fact, the truth of feeling, which is the third story we'll talk about. Yep. And um, one other note, um, all the stories in this collection have been published before except for the last two in the collection one of them is called omphalos oh right and one of them mm -hmm. is called anxiety is the dizziness of freedom those two um were not published before this book that's right i'd forgotten that mm -hmm. because i read the merchant and the alchemist gate that's the first ted chang story i ever experienced oh really wow yeah, Neat. it was on um, Starship Sofa. Mm, really? They had he gave them permission to read it there a long oh, time ago. Wow! Yeah. And then you very kindly, when you were converting everything to Kindle before you decided to convert some things back <laughs> to regular books. <laughs> yeah, I did um, go through that, isn't that? And that's almost interesting. In the anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about that connection, but yes, this mm -hmm. uh, the software creep kind of thing. But yes. um Anyway, you gave me the novella, The Merchant mm. um, and the Alchemist Yeah, Gate. from Subterranean. Yeah. Yes, and I mm. didn't give it back. I offered, no, don't but you give very it back. kindly. No, no, no. No, but yeah. I, I have just, just quickly, um, I did go through a phase where I'm like, hey, I'm going to just unload all this stuff and just go Kindle. How cool is this, right? <laughs> but it didn't take very long while I was like, what have I done? You know? <laughs> To, to sit in a room with books in it is awesome, and I have to had I had to have that back. So, but it was nice. It was good. Uh, it was a good exercise. You know. Well, yeah. Um, and in fact, I went kind of through a similar exercise when my I've mentioned my mother has moved in with us, and so we had to consolidate a lot of bookcases <laughs> to clear out the room that she'd be in. And I suddenly was finding myself going, I could get this at the library. This is mm. a common book. I don't need this one if I'm up at two in the morning going, I need something to read. I can't sleep. Yeah, yeah. You really suddenly prioritize what's important right. in terms of books. Wow, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Merchant and the Alchemist Gate. Uh, awesome. <laughs> Next story. No. It is, it yeah. is uh, my favorite of his stories. Is it really? It, oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it displays so much skill because it is – a series I'd forgotten how skillfully it was written until I was rereading it. It's they're nested stories mm -hmm. and connected stories. And the framework though is what's driving the whole thing still. It's not just there to introduce these other stories. The stories all work separately and together. And it's it's amazing, I yeah. think. Yeah, I thought it was really good too. Yeah. So um yeah, he, he got the idea, and, and this is so typically him. He explains in the at the end 
um, in the story notes. He gets a story of this idea of time travel, which is kind of a, I think he said it was an Einstein, um, mm-hmm. a time travel that would follow the rules of relativity and all that stuff. Um, and this is the story that came out of that. And it's extremely personal and um, very cool as well. So the, the idea is that there you can create a doorway that opens to a specific place in the past or the future and um but you still would not be able to affect anything that had already happened because you are a part of it whatever happened you're part of right right so even though if you didn't know it at the time at the first time that 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 this happened so um it's it's immediately captivating you know this storekeeper well i guess this guy is telling the story to some uh, king or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was oh, I cool. I forgot, like, that's the like, outer framework, Yeah, right. so it's like your majesty or, or, you know, he keeps talking about it. So it's almost epistolary. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, mighty caliph and commander of the faithful, I am humbled to be in the splendor of your presence. You know, that's the first line. Mm-hmm. And then um, he starts to describe um, this story, the, the first part of which is him going to a shop. And in the shop, this person has this, um, I pictured it as like a big circle on a pole. Yeah, that, me and, too. Yeah, and he um, put his arm in it, the shopkeeper put his arm into it, and his arm disappeared up to where it was in the gate. And then he pulled his arm out of it. And then a few seconds later, we saw his arm come out the other side and then pull back. And he explained, this is a, a, a gate... Um, what do you call it? A gate of seconds that um, whatever I do on this side shows up a few seconds later on that side. Did I describe that yeah. fairly correctly? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, of course, you know, the guy thought it was a magic trick and uh, just in beautiful writing and really compelling. It's just this little sequence of events and how he explains that is just so amazing. Um, it's really cool. And then he says, but, you know, I have better than this. I have a gate of years. Yeah. And um, now he says, if you walk through this gate, you will. You 20 go, years difference. Yeah. You will go find yourself uh, 20 years from now mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, go see how you turned out, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Right. And, um, of course, the guy does. And, and that's the story that he's telling. Well, first, though, he says, let me explain to you the way people use the gate and what they find. Yeah. And so he says, everybody learns something different. And so then he'll tell different stories. And so then it's almost like a Scheherazade thing. So it's the, the, what is it, the story of the fortunate rope maker, Mm -hmm. um, the tale of the weaver who stole from himself. (laughs) And so these are all really fascinating stories. And as he's telling them, each one has a little lesson right, right? about what you learn from seeing your past self or your future self. And even though you can't change anything that happened, how your different understanding of events based on your observations or participation changes you mm-hmm. a little bit. Yep. Don't you think? I do very much. And then of course yep. the merchant himself wants to go through, but he has to go to old Baghdad to do it, I guess, or wait a different town altogether. Yeah. And, and the, the thing there is somebody wants to go 20 years back. Right. But he's like, well, if I step through this side of the gate, can I go 20 years back? Well, no, you can't. Cause we just made this and it didn't exist 20 years ago. Yeah. But I have one in old Baghdad that has been there for 20 years. So you could travel over there and do it. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, but it, it's so right before the tale of the fortunate uh, rope maker, he says, um, the the person asks the shopkeeper, "What did they learn when talking to their older selves?" And then uh, the shopkeeper says, "Each person learns something different. If you wish, I can tell you the story of one such person." Basharat proceeded to tell me a story, and if it pleases your Majesty, I will recount it here. Yes. And then um, that's when he tells the tale of the fortunate rope maker. Um, so there was once a young man named Hassan, you know, who thought, well, there's no way I'm going to be rich because I'm just this rope maker. Right. And then, uh, the shopkeeper in the, in the story within the story says, well, you know, you can go see, 
So then he does go into the future and he sees himself there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And so some of the kinds of things that they will talk about are, you know, there's always a bit of a conclusion, a moral to the story. And so one of the things I liked about this is that most time travel stories assume you can change something. You have to be careful that's about the reading to yourself. Go back. Yeah, that's yeah right. exactly. It's like that famous mm-hmm. Futurama episode where you know I am my own grandpa uh-huh. kind of thing, <laughs> and um, I think it won an Emmy. And it was just, oh my gosh, have you seen that? I have not. Oh my gosh, Scott. Uh, it's also on the list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just we, got on we, there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that is just like the most amazing episode ever. However. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the kinds of things people do with time travel. What if you shot Hitler? You know, all these things. And I love Ted Chang's saying of, no, there are so many other events and you're in it yourself and all these things. You can't change this stuff. But just by being there and observing and participating, as I was saying before, even though the past is unchangeable, it's still full of surprises because we don't know everything. Mm. It's based on changing our point of view. So the future self being visited by someone from the past and going, oh, I get it. Right. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, Just saying, I don't know. I I just, I loved that concept because that whole thing is based on, I don't know. It's just like now I can't Mm -hmm. see everybody's point of view. I only have my own point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And if I come at it from a different angle, which I never get a chance to do because I'm living my life right now, then I might see something different or a truth. And as it is, you have to have somebody tell you that truth. Right. But when you're telling yourself that truth, it's kind of funny or seeing it in yourself. <laughs> wow. I think. You know, uh, I'm seeing into the future of our conversation right now. How'd um, it go? <laughs> it went really well. Oh, good. But you are describing almost one of the themes of uh, the truth of uh, the truth of fact, the truth of feeling. Well, yeah. yeah it, it. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So the idea that you see something from a different point of view, changing what you believed right. about what had happened. It's that right? perception. It's the same thing. I mean, he's doing it here in in a fantasy novella or novelette, whatever mm-hmm. length it is. And then um, he does the same thing in science fiction. And um, wow, that's really interesting. We'll he talk more about that. He also does it in exhalation, just from the mm-hmm. scientific um, point of view. Interesting. Once you know those facts that are discovered there, uh-huh. suddenly everything becomes clear. It's a yeah. point of view no one could have had otherwise. Wow. So that's one point. One thing, the other two themes that I happened to notice when I was making my notes for this story, all three of these stories, and we can, I guess, keep these in mind is Mm. one is um, memory, Mm. how important memory is to who we are and to how we define ourselves versus what may or may not be the fact of the case, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and to who we are as human beings, our identity. And then the other is the rejection of deception and error. You know, I I did mm-hmm. or didn't know this thing, and now that I know it, do I push it aside so that I can adjust to what's true, and how do I deal with that then? Yeah. Interesting. That's and cool. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, all these stories also touch on that theme. Yeah, they do. They do. You know? Wow, that's great. Especially mm-hmm. the merchant in the alchemist gate. Yeah. You know, he was, he's lambasting himself over uh, a conversation from when he was young. Right, right. And it's um, the, uh, the conclusion he comes to just blows me away, um, you know, as a Catholic person. Mm-hmm. Um, the, just the very last line of the story, which, you know, I assume we can just read. Yes, please, I'm waiting. <laughs> yeah, so it says, nothing erases the past. There is repentance, there is atonement, and there is forgiveness. That is all, but that is enough. Yes. Yeah. And that's so very true. And if you, in the notes at the back, you know, the story notes, um, he mentions that, um, it says here, I thought that a Muslim setting might work because acceptance of fate is one of the basic articles of faith in Islam. That's something I did not know. And then it says, then it occurred to me that the recursive nature of time travel stories might mesh well with the Arabian Nights convention of Tales Within Tales. 
And that sounded like an interesting experiment. <laughs> so, so yeah, so this melding of this idea of time travel as a fixed thing that you could do, but you wouldn't be able to affect anything. And then the acceptance of faith from, or fate from a religious perspective. Um, just great. Well, yeah. and also this whole idea to me that um, our lives are stories. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this before, you know. Um, they're the stories, it's the way we understand who we are and who everybody else is. I mean, it's, you know, it's why Jesus taught in parables. We understand stories. They have a deeper truth than just facts. They do, yeah. And right. our lives are the same way. And so when we're looking at the story of our life, and as a Catholic, as you say, you know, repentance, atonement, and forgiveness, that it does meld with this idea. He's, he's dealing with the idea of fate, which we will reject in terms of there's also free will. But we can't go back and change the past any more than we can step into the future. Mm -hmm. We are the current moment is all we have. Yeah. But we still carry those things with us, our hopes for the future, our regrets or whatever for the past. And, you know, good things from the past, too, of course. Mm -hmm. But it's what do we do with it? Right. Right? Right. How do we live our lives? And, of course, you know, when you're Catholic, you're, <laughs> here we are again. Once again, we're grateful for reconciliation mm. or confession, as yeah, it's called also. For um, sure. grateful for redemption mm -hmm. that makes a hopeful future possible. Yeah. And that's what happens in this story. It is what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, I'm thinking about, you met, you said the sentence story of your life. <laughs> and, oh yeah. And that is another story, <laughs> yeah. right? But, but in, in all of this, you know, God is in this story too. Um, mm -hmm. and I know I'm bringing that to it, but, God is the one who can step outside, or God is outside. He's not stepping outside, but right. he's the one who can see it all. And um, that's just an amazing thought, too. Well, it's when he steps in to history mm -hmm. as Jesus that his stories then become ours, too, in a personal way. Yeah, absolutely. In a way right. we couldn't understand before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ted Oh, man. Way I know he didn't put that stuff there, but you know, <clears throat> no, it's there but that's, for us that's to find. No, that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that an atheist uh, or a different religious person <laughs> would read this mm -hmm. story and still get so much. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because he, it's just all in there. It's just like, you know, ah, I just love it. I just love mm -hmm. how he writes. Um, mm -hmm. And if, uh, so talking about the next story, Exhalation. Yeah. I just wanted to, to read this, this again, from the story in the back, right? Okay. So, uh, but he says, you know, this story has different inspirations or whatever. But, but just listen to this. Bear with me for just a second. Uh -huh. You know, he says, um, the second thing that struck him was a chapter in Roger Penrose's book, The Emperor's New Mind, in which he discusses entropy. He points out that there's a sense in which it's incorrect to say we eat food because we need the energy it contains. The conservation of energy means that it's neither created or destroyed. We are radiating energy constantly at pretty much the same rate that we absorb it. And he goes on, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, well, you know, that's either interesting or not interesting. But the thing that's interesting to me is that he takes that <laughs> and then he writes something like this, right? <laughs> that that he is says, your brain work. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so he says, so what this guy, um, first of all, he's, he describes a race of sort of a robotic or an automaton type of people mm. that have to change their lungs. They're like air tanks and they, they have to change their lungs uh, to keep the pressure on their whole system in order to keep everything running. But they don't understand how they work. They, they don't understand how their bodies work. So this person that the story's about um, figures out a way, well, I'm going to look into my own brain and has devised this way where through prisms and stuff, this arrangement, he can actually sit there and look at his brain. By looking forward, he can actually see behind himself. And he starts to take himself apart from the back. But again, he's a mechanical being so he's he's taking apart all these things that that to me are 
or metal and uh, valves and things like that. But he gets to a point where he can finally see inside his brain uh, through a microscope and he's looking at it and he says, as I contemplate this vista, I wonder where my body was. I want to back up just one little bit here. It says, um, so as he's done this, I now also had room to rotate my microscope around a full 360 degrees and pass my gaze across the interfaces of subassemblies that I had moved. What I saw was a microcosm of auric machinery, a landscape of tiny spinning rotors and miniature reciprocating cylinders. And um, then he starts to wonder about where his self is. Um, But I wanted to find, let's see. Okay. Um, I turned my microscope to one of the memory subassemblies and began assem- examining its design. I had no expectation that I would be able to decipher my memories, only that I might divine the means by which they were recorded. As I had predicted, there were no reams of foil pages visible, but to my surprise, neither did I see banks of gear wheels or switches. Instead, the subassembly seemed to consist almost exclusively of a bank of air tubules. Through the interstices between Mm -hmm. the tubules, I was able to glimpse ripples passing through the bank's interior. And when I first read that, and I I may not have touched you the same way, but when I first read that, it was like, it was almost revelatory. I, I could see all these valves and little flaps and things in this person being held open by air pressure. And moving, you know, based on uh, consciousness and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then the story is about entropy and him discovering that, oh, our air pressure <laughs> is going down in our universe. And eventually right. we're all going to be gone, right? The, right? the air pressure will not be enough to hold all these valves, hold this life alive, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and of course... That immediately sent me to God and yeah. what God does for the universe. And in, in, a, in a way that I had never experienced it before, that's what I experienced when I read that. Wow. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it blew me away, completely blew me away. And I had to stop and just think about it for a while. Wow. Um, but yeah. but I to, did not get, I wish I'd have gotten that. I did not. <laughs> but that's, I, uh, that's just how I felt about it, yeah. But I also read that and thought this, when you chose this story, I was like, duh. Yeah. This is speaking your funny? language. Isn't it's how funny? things go together. Yeah. And and some um, of the mechanical pieces, just the thought of him pulling himself apart, you know, so he he's actually devised all this stuff. I, I mean, I, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, he's got his hands in things and he's running little devices that he's pulling himself apart behind his head and observing, you know, all the details. Like I had to get extra tanks and make mm-hmm. sure that I had all the air that I would need <laughs> right. to survive this thing. And, um, right. for, just, so for long enough that I awesome. could keep doing it. It's like, so, a, like uh, a scientist. If I could go yeah. back one second. You said what God does for the universe. Do you want to mm-hmm. mention what that is if people... Uh, might not. Well, know what I mean, just, just the way that I see it. I mean, he, he, the 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 existence of the universe is due to him, right? It, he's the right. one. He's the air pressure in the universe. <laughs> it, yeah, it, he holds it into being, right? Just by him willing it. Yeah, exactly. He's continually involved with the universe. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's a good and, way of thinking of it, though. That that air pressure is right, and but that's that is. I think that that's what he was doing there, um, because yeah. because um, you know he does it elsewhere, you know where he's like, um, but then then he's like, you know, does God hear or is God not here? He never actually says, and I, I would imagine that a person um, who does not believe in God could read this and say. Uh, well, you know, all his memories are in the ripples and everything. And as soon as those are gone, he's gone, right? But yeah. but that's not what I believe. I mean, the air is still there, right? It's like um, yeah. the, the thing, the, the, the matter of the universe that he was a part of still exists, right? Yeah. So. And our souls were creature, we're animals with souls. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of, we're in between. Yeah. You know, we connect the physical world of 
you know, other animals and rocks and trees and everything with the totally spiritual world of angels and God. So we're, we're the um, connector, I guess I've already said. Yeah. And yeah. for me, this story, I loved the imagery of the, the rippling golden leaves yeah. Yeah. that were carrying the memories and required air pressure to keep going back and forth. And the idea that for them, they, they're like, you know, if you ran out of argon, Mm-hmm. then somebody could find you and hook up a new tank and you'd start up again, but it's like you were brand new. Right, right. You weren't yourself anymore. You were some different creature. So, I mean, you know, a, a, your memories were totally gone and that meant you weren't you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and that connects in a way that I can't really express, I guess, that we are our memories but we are not these creatures. We are more than that because we would say that you have a dignity whether or not you remember anything. So if you have Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. you still have the dignity of being a human being mm-hmm. who has lived your life and has loved and lost and have people who do or don't care about you but who are involved in your life in some way. Just by being a human being, you have that inherent um, quality. Yep. Yeah. And um, and he's not saying that they don't, you know, these, when no, not at memories all. Not at all. In fact, I, I feel very strongly the opposite. Yeah. Um, but again, that could be something that I'm bringing to it, which which goes back to the Merchant the Alchemist Gate is like, I'm looking at this story from my perspective and uh, mm-hmm. other people through theirs. But because it's so rich in ideas, he leaves it open that you can it suddenly impacts you in different ways. Just the way you're saying, Mm -hmm. I thought of this, and then here's this story. Right. Look how it took him, you know. Look how it took him, yeah. And I I just love that, you know, he talks about, you know, the religion and science and how it's a 20th century thing that they're not connected. Um, Mm -hmm. He writes as if they are. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. 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 He really does. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing is this connects in some way to what we watched last week, Seeking a Friend oh. for the End of the World. Oh, yeah? Because, you know, it's he can see it's the end of their world. Oh, true. Yeah, very, very. They're all going to die. Mm-hmm. And unless somebody comes along and fixes the pressure, which he has no reason to expect, yeah. nobody's done anything like that before. And he's leaving this as a message to anybody who might discover them later. Right. Through a, and, another universe, or, you know, he's not even conceiving of... You know, yeah. could there be different kinds of people uh, that don't require air pressure or anything like that? But he's just writing this with the idea, hey, maybe maybe there's another universe or maybe somebody will find me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he has no other evidence to go on. Right. But he's hopeful. Yeah. Right? Because he leaves the message of, I'll warn you. And so then it comes down to, to me. Mm-hmm. What do we do when we know death is inevitable mm. and the end is near? Yeah. That's the that big was, That was something, story. you know, he, he uh, the back of his head was all unpacked, right? Mm-hmm. And he did say in the story something like, um, I wanted to get up and run outside and tell everyone. Um, but then he didn't. Well, he couldn't because he couldn't move, right? <laughs> right. So then, but then he had time to think about it. And, and um, I don't know. Actually, I guess I don't remember this detail. Did he run out and tell everybody or not? I thought he didn't. Of yeah, course, I don't know, think he I did either. I don't remember either, but yeah. I thought that he didn't want to panic everyone. Right. And I think that that's. Yeah. This is terrible. We both read the story. And so that's clearly mm-hmm. not the point of the story. It clearly is not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's talking about so much else, what he's mm-hmm. discovered. Right. That, um, yeah, he's not worried about that. He's telling, he's warning people for the future. And yeah. I'm thinking, well, again, I just can't help relating it to us. And right. maybe it helps that I just read Being Mortal. Mm. Oh, and, Gawande. Yeah, yeah. And I can't yeah. remember the author's name. Uh, Atul, it was Atul Gawande. One day, yeah, and so of course, that is talking about all kinds of things to do with the end of life. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're young and get a fatal disease, if you're older, how do you deal with all the decline that comes with it, and, and how do you still have a purpose and sense of your own um, 
being right so that you're not just sitting in a corner warehouse somewhere even when people are trying not to do that you internally have to be motivated and so um thinking about that and then reading this story kind of at the same time i was struck by that's great yeah it's a very melancholy reflection but it's still a reflection we all have to make Mm-hmm. It's going to happen to everybody. And the way medicine goes these days is very much like this story in that we know ahead of time. Mm-hmm. It's rare to have the sudden car accident. I mean, people do. Yeah, right. But for most of us, it's the, oh, you have this disease. Well, we're trying to fix that disease, but now this happened. But mm-hmm. now that happened. But whatever. Yeah, or the decline yeah. in, well, now you're falling down, so now you have to go do this instead. Mm-hmm. And so he's dealing with kind of the same thing. What do I do? He leaves a legacy. And isn't that what we want to do? How do you help other people make their lives better? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, that's cool to read those two books at the same time. Yeah, yeah, totally unintentional. But there we are. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So now, I mean, that, that leaves us, you know, talking about legacy and stuff. That brings us right to the last story we're going to talk about, which is <laughs> the truth of fact and the truth of feeling. And uh, this, this is interesting. When I first read this story, it was most interesting to me because it's, it's a conversation that I actually had, um, this idea of collecting everything. Oh, really? Um, with, um, you know, Luke Burridge and uh, Jesse Willis mm. from SFF Audio. I don't recall if that was in an actual podcast that we were talking about but somehow it came up and um you know so so but just the whole idea that boy you could record everything um and how that would change things it was really really made a fascinating story um it's like you know do you want to do that or do you not want to do that or what how would it affect things um and he explores some of the ramifications of that. So the idea is that there's this thing called remem, which is a you're constantly recording video and audio and everything from your life. And uh, the search engine has become so good that you could say something like, remember that dinner party that we were at with Fred? And it would call that up immediately and kind of put it in a, your field of vision where you could actually see what was said and everything um, at that dinner party and, um, right. Yeah. And then, uh, it's just some of the ramifications of that. Well, and it's interesting. It's another story that's complex and longer, I guess Mm -hmm. it could be a novella. It's not quite as long as some of the others, but, um, yeah. So it's looking at a lot of things like that. So it's looking at what, what's the implication of having this ability. It's also looking at how do we feel about software gadget creep? Mm. You know, yeah. these things get more and more and more into our lives. And what do we relinquish of our own abilities? Because we can just depend on that. Yeah. And does it make a difference to how we interact with other people and think of ourselves? So when you said you got rid of everything for the Kindle mm-hmm. and then you changed your mind, <laughs> that made me think of this story. Oh, wow. That's fine. You know, some yeah. people have immediately in this story, they, they use Remem and mm-hmm. that's what they do. Uh, the person who's writing this story is a father who said, oh, my goodness, you know, my daughter can't even spell, yet she's super smart. She can write, but she doesn't write in a way that is um, more than kind of recording information. Mm-hmm. And um, so in the, on the one hand, he's really proud of her, but on the other hand, he's mourning the loss of literary abilities and that sort of thing and, and her ability to enter into that. And then... He's also talking about a huge ongoing fight and problem in his relationship with his daughter. And it's it's interwoven by a story that is as opposite as it could be. And when you get to the end, you discover that this person who's telling the main story has also been writing the other story kind of as a meditation, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it is set in far ago times when the Europeans have just landed among native people and they're kind of now starting to come and live among them and be missionaries and record some of what they're doing. And a bright young man winds up getting recruited by one of them to be a records keeper. Mm-hmm. And he has to learn what are words because we just say things. And then he finally is taught, but we're using words in this order to do this. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, how do you write? What are symbols on paper? How do you, how do they turn into something? So this is like the beginning of the whole literary idea, because as he goes along, he discovers eventually that writing itself changes how you think. You're ordering things and explaining them and um, documenting things in a way that puts more order into the world, even mm-hmm. as you're trying to be more factual about it. But it also allows your mind scope for thinking in a different way, which yeah. anybody who's written anything, even blogging every day, discovers. Mm-hmm. And so when the two stories are ending, I think it's really interesting the they both go such different paths and come to essentially kind of the same conclusion. Don't you think? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it's hard to even imagine what it would be like not to know that I'm saying words. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, even when they were trying to explain to him how to write, you know, he's like, "Why are you putting spaces in between those?" You yeah, know, I, I say it all in one thing, which I guess is what Germans do, right? <laughs> I'm looking at they're like huge long words. Uh, but anyway, There's five words. Let's but just stick them yeah, together. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to even imagine what it would be like um, not to have words. Um, and but then of course, and then you know yeah. now with Remam, it's like okay, well Remam, if that it, it seems to be something that could someday be real, and how that would change things. Um, I would imagine there would come a time where people would think um, it's hard to imagine what life was like without this, right? It's it's hard to imagine what life was like without email, you know, even though right. I, was, I was alive then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yes. Know? Um, uh, without texting, you know, I, I text quite a bit um, with people. And... Um, it's hard to imagine what it was like before that, you know? So that was really interesting to me as a parallel between those two stories was, you know, here is writing and showing how it changes the life and the thinking of this person. And then here is Remam showing you how it changed the life and the way uh, people think between this um, man and his daughter, the -hmm. daughter who has embraced Remam and is just doing it like everyone else does it, which is really what youth are doing today. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the guy who's, I suppose, is more like me, which is like, <laughs> I knew what it was like before that. And is this a good thing or not? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting thing to think about. But do I want all my memories recorded? And um, and to explore like the positive and the negative effects of that, especially on a marital relationship, were really interesting. And the idea yeah. of forgiveness being... How do you let something go when it's in memory forever? Um, you know, how do you forgive someone and move on if you can go relive that argument um, again? And then yeah. it looks at it the other way, where if you looked at that argument again from far away, you're going to see that you don't remember it right. Oh my gosh. And yeah. that was. That was extreme, but yeah, but it was something. Yeah, I I felt the example was very extreme. But of course, the story itself is just looking at things. So why not use an extreme example? But Mm -hmm. the thing I liked was there's, you could really see the guys arguing with, um, I I think it's a developer of the product, or is it somebody who's studying it? Anyway, some sort Mm -hmm. of expert who is saying that this is, just another tool, <laughs> really. Yeah, right. And um, he's saying, oh, no, this is going to cause people to be unable to forgive each other when you can really prove that, you know, you were wrong and I was right and all this, that people's edges will harden. And she said, no, it depends on the people. Some people will be willing to forgive because you just have to. Yeah, they'll become they'll become more willing to forgive because they'll understand that they also remember things differently sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then um some people won't because they will never ever admit they're wrong. And so she says it's it really comes back to human behavior. And then in the other story where the guy is really the young man, native man, is really moving toward 
becoming more like a European going, but this piece of paper says this. These people mm. are definitely wrong. And the elders don't remember correctly. And so they're making an incorrect decision. And one of the elders pulls him aside and goes, you don't get it. Mm. That's not what this is about. <laughs> it is about remembering things, but it's also about the peace of the people, our relationships with each other. How do we go forward? Yeah. And, and he doesn't state it exactly like that, but that's exactly what the other story is talking about too. And when the guy in the other story discovers that he's been very wrong about a lot of things and what his daughter has done in order to be able to move on and, and be able to love him anyway. Mm. He's, he's like, Oh, okay. I also will try to forgive myself and try to be a better person. The person I thought I was. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, then I thought of <sighs> this is when intentions matter more than facts. Yeah. Right? You didn't know you were wrong. You were doing the best you could. In the situations that we have here, despite the wrong memories, he thought he was correct. Mm. And he thought he was being a loving, forgiving person. Uh -huh. He discovered, oh, no, here, from this point of view, <laughs> no. But he was granted forgiveness and in his turn could grant forgiveness for other things. And so, of course, I'm then brought back to God's relationship with us or my relationship with him, mm -hmm. how many things do I do where I don't even understand it? Yeah. And then later I look at it and it's like, but you didn't know you were like a little kid in some ways, mm -hmm. you know? And, and of course this, the man in the, the, who's telling the story is not exactly like that, but if you don't have those memories right, then you don't have a way to know it and correct it. That's very true. Yeah. And then how else could it be besides intention? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's interesting to think, okay, well, intention, you know, it still works in that new world, right? Uh -huh. You know, the intention worked before there was writing and the intention worked after and the intention yeah. works before remam and after. Cause that's the relationships. That's of what people. it is. Right. right. Yeah. Cause I remember it's funny recently, my mom said to me something about, she was thinking about, the Inuit people and how at one point, and this happened in a lot of, you know, Native American populations where the Europeans came in and went, we're going to help you. We're going to take all these kids and send them to boarding schools so they can learn how to be properly educated and civilized and all this kind of stuff. And, um, of course, what they were doing was rending families apart, tearing children mm. away from their heritage and all this. And so she was... Um, she wasn't being mean about it, but she's just like, that was such an awful thing. And I said, yeah. And I said, you know, the funny thing is, is they did it out of the best of intentions. Mm. You know, I'm sure there were people who were taking advantage of the situation, but the overall intention of that idea was we're going to help you become Americans in our sense of the word. Hmm. We're trying to do something good for you. And people now will argue about it one way or the other. Was it right? Was it wrong? It doesn't seem like it was the right thing to do, but the intention was there. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a friend who um, until recently was an usher at the church who was talking to us and he grew up on a Hopi Indian reservation. He is the, you know, he was the head of one of the top advertising agencies in town. Mm. He went to, I can't remember Harvard or Yale or one of these schools. And he's, he's just what we would consider the most, you know, regular guy ever. And we said, well, what did you do? And he goes, oh, I don't know. I just looked around and I got a scholarship and I decided I would rather live this other way. Huh. Well, see, now people might call him a traitor to the race or something. Wow. Yeah. But he was just choosing how, here's how I want to live. Here's my intention. Mm -hmm. And he's part of a big community and, you know, that's wow. what they were trying to do. Yeah. You know, as you're, as you're talking about that, it makes me think about um, intention. And I, I know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of looking at history through modern lands where they're saying, okay, well, this is all bad, you know, and, and it worries me because they're not talking about any of the good, um, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, the founding of the country and the, the idea, the idea of what America is, you know, right. is, is a Republican freedom and all that stuff is being lost because there were slave owners, you know, 
which is horrible. <laughs> I right. totally understand that, but that doesn't mean we throw it all out. We 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 correct it, you know. And let's yeah. trust the intentions of each other right now. Um, right. That's what's missing. Let's trust the intentions right now. Yeah, because and what trouble what maybe it well it troubles me, but also I find it kind of ironic that what's happening is especially in the situation of talking about um perhaps race, that kind of thing, if you're white, <laughs> you're being told that you were bad because maybe you had ancestors who were slaveholders. And in that sense, the sin, they are visiting the sins of the fathers upon the children, hmm. which they would never want done in their own case. You know, America is about being able to try to find the right way and make a new beginning together. Mm-hmm. That's what it's always done. It's fallen away from that, and then it's always kind of come back going, we'll fix this, we'll fix this. And to kind of um, – a lot of the approaches I see are really they could use some remem. You know, they could use, they could use, I'm thinking, uh, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about, okay, Twitter, right? Twitter is, um, I mean, gosh, reporters now report on Twitter, what's happening on Twitter. And, but it's, I don't know that it's had a positive effect on us. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, because people can be vicious behind the username. Um, without mm-hmm. this is not face to face anymore, you know. So I'm thinking, you know, well, like you say, okay, well, we could use some remam, you know, if we could um, go back and see. I don't know. I don't know what we see. It seems like we'd see if we could see far enough back, we would see mm-hmm. probably some heinous things, mm-hmm. and we would also see some great things, you know, just like it is today, right? Right. If we look at people today, you know, we're gonna we're gonna find some horrible things, but we're also gonna find some wonderful things. Right. Um, you know, both of which we probably don't know right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but the thing is, you know, just that intention, you know, if you could just trust that the person you're talking to has a good intention, um, I don't know. So I, I don't know about remem as a, as a thing. I mean, would you want to record all your memories or record no. everything? I don't like knowing yeah. that there's a video camera in my alley for one thing. Really? So, you know, Interesting. Uh-huh. yeah. Okay. Yeah, the neighborhood association yeah. did it to cut down on crime. Mm-hmm. Did it? I don't know. They're you know they hire off-duty police to kind of do some patrolling when it's dark. Yeah. And I was like, that's that's interesting. So enough. why what what is it about that that is off-putting? I don't like everything being recorded. I okay. don't know. I just mm-hmm. can't. We just live. Yeah, I, I agree. Then, yeah. You know, one yeah. of the things I remember talking yeah. about with Luke and um, Luke and Jesse is. You know, Luke does this podcast called the Science Fiction Book Review Podcast. Yes. Right? So uh, he was saying that he finds it a wonderful thing that he's recorded everything that he's read because he Uh. gets to go back to it and he can say, oh, yeah, I remember that, you know, and and he's got this nice list and all these podcasts of him talking about how he felt about it at the time. Hmm. And he finds that really rewarding to have that. And... um. I, I would agree with that. It's like, you know, I have Evernote and I always type notes about things I read and things. Oh, you know, really? Yeah. So it's mostly like, uh, well, you have your quote journal, right? It's it's sort of the same concept. Well, I have even yep. more than that. I have Goodreads where I make comments right. on everything I read there. But I'm yeah. doing it actually not for myself. Mm-hmm. And I don't consider it rewarding for myself. Uh-huh. I do it for other people. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess I do it because... Enough people, every day I have one to two people saying they like a review of something I've written. Cool. And sometimes I don't even, I'll look, go, oh, when did I even read that book? Wow, I can't (laughs) believe this person came across it. Clearly, they're thinking of reading it or whatever, have read it themselves. And I'll go back and kind of look at my notes and go, yeah, I remember that's what I read. And Yeah. But I don't keep track of it for myself. But that's myself. cool though. That's cool though, isn't it? To to have that, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, but that's yeah, it's interesting like the conversation with other people if they comment, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's great. I would love to have a list of every book I've ever read. 
Oh, no. I, Wouldn't that be I, cool? I would really think that that was neat. I don't care. I, I do. I think it's cool. Oh, well, good. Good for you. <laughs> I think it You're would be awesome. Him, I'm and not not, not for some counting purpose where I've read this many. If It's it's more of a like, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. You know, it's um, like, uh, it's funny, you know, memory. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking over here at my bookshelf. I found a few years ago, Dolphin Island by Arthur C. Clarke was the first science fiction book I ever read. It's a oh, clear really? memory in my head. It was probably like third grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a, it's a YA book that was in the library there. Okay. Um, but I, I actually went and found, you know, the, uh, a copy that is exactly like the one that I had read from that library. I found it oh, on that eBay is and great. I bought it. Yeah. Yes. So, but that's, that's fantastic. You know, I, uh, yeah. I find that really cool. And it's yeah. neat every now and then I run across it on my shelf over there. And I flipped through it, and I read it once, and um, anyway, it's well, it's cool. And along those lines, what's really funny, I thought it was <laughs> hilarious, because I remember the first time I read The Truth of Fact, The Truth of Feeling, it was online somewhere, mm-hmm. and I ended it up, and I was quite angry really? about mm-hmm. him portraying that person not remembering that conversation, oh, right? I just yeah. didn't think that could possibly mm-hmm. be accurate. Yeah. And... I'm not saying this definitely connects to that, but what was hilarious to me was I reread it this time and I was totally fine with it. So it didn't matter. But at the same time, since my mom's here, she's seen the movie arrival and she didn't know it had come from a Ted Chang story. So I pulled my book out Mm -hmm. and I was glancing through the book and I realized it's got a lot more stories in it than I remembered. I was like, what this movie called this book story called mm-hmm. understand yeah then division by zero mm-hmm. <laughs> 72 letters i had a vague idea of the evolution yeah. of human science nope yeah liking what you see documentary so about half the stories in the book in essence the ones we didn't talk about mm-hmm. i'd have zero memory of interesting i looked at understand i think i read yeah. it going, oh, if mom reads this book, I'd like to talk to her about it. I'll just refresh my memory. I was like, no, I have a blank. Wow. Wow. That's this fast memory is so fascinating. Yeah. I, re- I, I remember was just stunned. Yeah, that is really something. I mean, I've had an experience with you um, where I suggested a book that we should read. And you said, uh, Scott, we did that. That was episode oh. number 90 or something like that. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And I look at it. And I'm like, I'll be darn. There it is. But you know what? I have, uh, and this is a different thing. I think this is the wanting to revisit the story. I've been rereading a few of the books that we talked about a long time ago, and Uh I've been thinking, I'd like to talk about it again. Yeah. I wish we hadn't done The Reapers of the Angels. I wish we hadn't done Mockingbird. Oh, I I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm just like, I don't think that we would say anything that's definitely new, so it's probably (laughs) not worth recording. But it's that thing of just enjoying the conversation and sharing the ideas so much. And I think... Those are the same impulses that make the relationship part work in this story, despite mm. the remem or the whatever. It's the um, community aspect. Yeah. It's not the sharing of ideas in the case of the story, but it's what makes it fun to do what we do. Yeah, you know, like I on agree. This podcast. I agree with you. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is, you know, despite my joy at looking at my Dolphin Island book and remembering, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd want my whole life recorded to the point, although I think about things like, gosh, you know, grandpa, wouldn't it be cool to, you know, I have memories of conversations that were very meaningful with my grandpa. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be cool to see that, you know, is that, you know, or is it just the fact that it's in my memory wow. that's cool? But then, you know, so I think about that in, in the aspect of people who have passed, you know. Yeah. But I don't know that I feel that way about people that I'm with today, you know. Like, it doesn't seem important to me at all to remember a conversation that I had with my wife two weeks ago mm-hmm. because I remember it differently than she did um, or something yeah. like that. You know, I don't see, I don't have any desire for that. Yeah. Um, in, in that case, then it's overanalyzing, right? Then yeah. it gives you a chance to rethink everything and suddenly you're sad or mad or glad about it from a different point of view. And see, and that's where it takes out of what we're supposed to be doing. Because when you think about way, way back, most of human history, there wasn't even writing. Right. 
Yeah. Um, we just in lived. In the beginning, there was the word, right? They say that, right. but it was yeah, like, right, that was right. almost like the story or, right. or the, the logos, right? Right. The idea of uh, almost like an intelligent conversation, I guess, is somehow how I think about it. There was an intelligence, right, in the beginning. I just think of it, the word, it just imbued. Mm-hmm. It's the story that imbues everything. Yeah, right. That's why it's in our hearts. Yeah. Um, or he is in mm-hmm. our hearts, hopefully. Um, <laughs> the other thing this story made me think of was how, for our own reflection as Christians or just as people, how do we act when we're faced with our own faults and sins? Mm. When we're yeah. proven wrong in a way that is not something we kind of knew about deep down, blah, 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 and I better work on this, but something that is just slap you in the face new. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's there's a TED talk about, you know, something about being wrong, and somebody wrote a book about it, and she says, how does it feel to find out you're wrong? And she goes, because it's, it's just this, it's like being coyote. Mm-hmm. You know, a minute ago, you were right. You were on <laughs> solid ground. Right. And when you're like the coyote chasing the roadrunner, suddenly you look around and you're in the air and you're plummeting down to the ground. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, you've run right out there on your own and there you go. And it's so what do you do on the way down? Are you angry? Are you lashing out? What does it take for you to kind of accept it and think through it? And And just yesterday, I had an experience where... I was rightfully annoyed at somebody Mm -hmm. and had an argument with them. But based on some of the things they said, I, as I was kind of stewing over it, but I was also like, I'm going to drink my coffee. I'm going to pray. I'm going (laughs) to, you know, but I also was Mm -hmm. like, they had a legitimate point. It was completely different from the issue I was talking about, but I wasn't helping things. Right. I had my own fault to think my own corrections and that, kind of stung you know so yeah yeah do you ignore it do you fix it yeah how do you how do you repent depends totally on the situation right so but yeah but yeah i I get you you know and that's kind of what it's not that we're bad people it's just that we're human people and these things happen and so in that case we're right back to the merchant and the alchemist gate there's Uh repentance there is atonement there's forgiveness that is all but that is enough and that's what carries you through if you're honest about it right in wow. those situations yeah that's great <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's that's so great i mean yeah so ted chang represents really you know both these sides of myself that you know society tells me need to be at odds and he brings them together mm-hmm. and i just love it yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah because i i like he he sees the dichotomy between both these things, but yet he sees that that where they come together is the human element. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, I've tried to write things sort of in a religious way in a story like that, right? Mm-hmm. But but I've never felt successful at all. Oh. Um and I don't know why, it, it, but we, we've talked about that before. It's like when you set out to write a story that has this religious point, the chances are it's not going to be very good. Yeah. And I found that for certain, right? I'm just yeah. like, oh, yeah, this is me hitting people with a hammer. And uh, who's going to want to read that, right? But but yet he does it here, and it's like he's making points without trying to make any points. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it, maybe that's what makes it so successful is he's he's examining – all the sides or all the implications he can of this idea in a very human way. And therefore, because he's honest, it's, there's some truth coming out and uh, that's, what's touching people. Yeah. I guess it helps that he has a regular job. So he's not having to churn it out the way the pulp writers were back in the day. And so his stories are slowly written, and obviously yeah. he's his, rewritten and thought through them a lot. His writing process is interesting. Yeah. Um, I have a little paragraph here. Somebody asked him. He says, uh, could you give a walkthrough of your writing process? And he says, in general, if there's an idea I'm interested in, I usually think about it for a long time. And I write down my speculations or just ideas of how it could become a story. But I don't actually start writing the story itself until I know how it ends. Typically, the first part of the story I write is the very ending, either the last paragraph of the story or a paragraph near the end. Once I have the destination in mind, then I can build the rest of the story around that, 
or build the rest of the story in such a way as to lead up to that. Usually hmm. the second thing I write is the opening, and then I write the rest of the story almost in random order. I keep writing scenes until I've connected the beginning and the end. I write the key scenes or what I think of as the landmark scenes first, and then I just fill in backwards and forwards. So it really is a series of meditations in a lot of it ways. It really Here is. Here are the points. Yeah. And Here's he's not in conclusion. any hurry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. That's interesting because the stories, you would never think of them as being written like that ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's hmm. neat. I, I just think that that's cool. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Ted yeah. Chang, I, I know you'll never hear this, but thank you for all your hard work. I, <laughs> yeah. I love your writing so much. Very much, too. I do as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Thank you, thank you. Okay. So what's coming up now? Ah, October's coming. October. Holy cow. Attack the block. Yay. Yay. <laughs> okay, awesome. so, shocker, it uh-huh. is not an Indian movie. It is what? my choice. <laughs> but it isn't. It is foreign, so... Oh, okay, good. (laughs) Yeah? It's English. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yep. There, I'm looking at it right now. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks, and we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. All right, see you later. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye.